Hello, everyone, and thank you for tuning in to yet another episode of the I Hate the Antichrist podcast. This is your host, Awe. I'm back again with Ace. How's it going, man? Oh, thank you so much. It's uh, going great. Thanks for having me back on, too. Yeah, I, I absolutely loved the last episode we did. It was the last episode of the show. It was show. a lot of fun. It, it, it seriously was. You, you're an absolute wealth of knowledge. Oh, thank uh, you. Especially on theory. So, um, I, I really appreciated the conversation. Wanted to, uh, and I've been trying to get a, a an episode done for for prison abolition for a while now. Mm-hmm. Um, and and it's just been really difficult. I mean, I I wasn't able to uh, coordinate a time with Allie, um, mm-hmm. and and I've been trying to do that for like a month now. So um she suggested i go with with probably you or somebody uh like small crimes or uh-huh anyway um i figured you know why not do another ace episode <laughs> so <clears throat> part of the uh the biggest complaint that people have against the concept of anarchism is what do we do with people who do evil right uh and this is obviously you know like i want to approach a prison abolition in a way where it's like i understand most people's rejection like immediate rejection of it right because it sounds like kind of absurd to most people in the same way that anarchism kind of sounds absurd to like normies right it's just one of those like well how could that ever work well um, th- there are two ways we can kind of uh, approach this. There's one is more like the practical economic approach, and then another would be a, a, a moral approach, essentially. Um, so what we would do with the, the people who commit evil, right, is right now what happens is the people, well, <laughs> the people who legally commit uh, evil or illegally commit evil, sorry, they get sent to prison where those people are then Uh, essentially subsidized while they're in prison right the taxpayers pay for their stay their room and board their meals things like that so right now you already have this system where it's just like okay these evil people were evil and now you're going to fund the state's uh care of them essentially in the in these prisons um another one is that um in a truly anarchist society like if we truly got to an anarchist society and we did like abolish prisons I think this is what most people kind of fear is that they would say, okay, well, we'll let the murderers and the rapists, right? Well, how could we uh, handle those people without prisons? Well, one of the ways in which we could do that is essentially if someone murders a person. So actually, Bob Murphy has a great example of this, right? Um, Let's imagine that the only punishment for committing a murder is you have to pay the victim's family $1,000. Now, it could be any amount, but $1,000 is just a placeholder for now. Uh, most people recoil at this. They think it's just they feel it's wrong in some sense, and they feel like, well, how could that ever, how could that ever work? Well, if that's true, if you only, if you, every time you murdered, if you murdered someone, you only had to pay the victim's family a thousand dollars. The victims of the original murder could just kill the murderer and pay the and pay the money back, essentially, right? So you kind of have this like natural. Um, uh, recourse that would kind of like work itself out uh, in a natural way right so uh, that's sort of like how these people would um, be handled in a truly like pr- a, a, a society without prisons and also you have the idea that look 
if someone actually murders someone and they don't essentially pay the victim's family back for the rest of their lives, which would be my position, my position would be like, if you've committed a murder or like done some horrible crime, you are essentially indebted to that victim's family for the rest of your life. That would be my answer for that. Um, because that uh, it, nothing can bring that person back, but monetary restitution forever essentially is a better solution than that person going to jail and then uh, being subsidized essentially, right? It's just, it, it creates this weird incentive. Um, if someone refuses to pay the money, what would generally happen in societies in the past would be that this person would essentially be black, legally blacklisted, right? You see this in some polycentric uh, legal societies like ancient Ireland, uh, medieval Iceland, Kospaya, where you and your if someone list. did come. Yeah, I'm doing the list. Yeah, I'm doing the list. Uh, <laughs> um, but if someone committed a murder, essentially what would happen is when they were legally blacklisted is these different like arbitration firms would essentially say, okay, if you don't play ball with us, if you don't like repay this victim's family, we're going to like not protect your rights. You're going to, we're essentially, which essentially means that anyone could assault you, steal from you, kill you, and we will not prosecute them if they do. Essentially <laughs> the ancient uh, law of, outlawry yes that's right that's correct yes so like if somebody were like out in the woods and they saw you mm -hmm. and they recognized you they knew who you were they yeah. could just off you and there would be no there'd be no legal recourse correct there might be social recourses uh for that but there, there would be no legal ones uh given the given like who the person was yeah you wouldn't owe the thousand dollars, but you that's right. You would not owe the money by that person's family. That's right. So that's always the that's always the risk with vigilantism, right? Is that it's like you kind of you could there's a possibility you could create this never ending cycle of violence. So you always have to take that into account. Uh, but legally speaking, no, there'd be no like uh, recourse for that if you did yeah. that. So yeah, interesting. So um, there's a, a lot of different sides of this. For one, um, how do you feel about the, the idea that some people are, like psychopaths, are not rehabitable and allowing them to go out back into society under any circumstance is not ideal, like even, even in, an, in an outlaw circumstance? Right. Uh, so I, I certainly do accept the the fact that there are psychopaths and there are people who would just be constant threats. I feel like if a person is a constant threat, I don't have a, a moral problem with detaining them, right? Because that would fall under defense for me. If someone is a constant risk, then detaining them would be justified in my personal view. Um, it, it depends on... So the detainment would have to, they, you would have to prove this person is just a constant threat at all times, right? Like a real actual like serial killer psychopath who just kills on impulse and always has an impulse to kill. Uh, that I think that'd be perfectly justified to restrain that person. Um, as uh, Now, even if we did let them out into society, though, I don't think it would be necessarily um, a thing where it's just like these people are free to like walk around and do whatever they want. Uh, I, I think they would have a situation where it's like, I do think there'd be some market incentive for some, whether it be like um, some type of firm or some type of insurance protection, something, whatever, mutual aid. You would have people who would be um, like paid or solicited to essentially follow this person around. <laughs> you know what I mean? Mm 
to be on watch for them essentially to make sure they weren't doing anything when they in public spaces you could kind of like you know observe their house and watch when they left and kind of like follow them around uh which uh you know it's not it sounds like for people most people that sounds kind of crazy but that's actually not um that actually would not be as hard especially when you had um certain technologies like you could like make sure like you know sensors or detectors when they left or you know and any type of thing like that or you could also have it like um um there could be like contractual things it's like they say okay if you commit this crime if you're like in a covenant society or something right and you commit this crime then we get to like place trackers on your vehicle you know things like that that that's also very possible a possible way to like deal with that type of stuff so um, but but in general, to your back to your question, I, I do think like if you're an actual genuine psychopath or something, I don't think restraining that person. I don't ha- I really have a problem with that too much. What is your position on the death penalty for somebody who is like, for example, done serial murderings and serial rapings mm-hmm. and like serial child rapings? Right. Yeah. And I, I mean, this is always the tough question because it's like on principle. I am opposed to the death penalty, right? Yes. Um, but also going back to my anti-punishment stance, because I'm opposed to the death penalty because I'm opposed to punishment in general. But also, if someone did kill him, I wouldn't want to punish that person either. Does that kind of get it? What you, yeah. you know what I mean? So, uh, so yeah, I'm opposed to it on principle, but I, I wouldn't want the person who murdered the murderer to face any legal consequences besides for maybe like, you know, some uh, you know a little bit of restitution maybe but honestly I, if it was like a child murder i don't think the courts would even enforce any restitution uh, or anything you know what i mean that type of stuff so it's just like yeah that's fine whatever i, I think in a lot of ways how that like kind of pan out in anarchist society is like oh the, the courts would just say oh it was that guy okay we're not gonna do anything whatever go on your way <laughs> you know uh like like the like a want to pursue clause basically right right like if there's not a desire to pursue then the court simply won't pursue sort of deal right exactly yep interesting yeah so um let's see here what what are the uh what are the historical examples of of this sort of system being successfully used yeah um ancient ireland is also one ancient ireland had no police or prisons um okay so ancient ireland uh was polycentric which meant it had there were multiple judges it was an anarchist society it had like there was no like monocentric um like monopoly on violence in this area so essentially they had arbiters and whenever one person would harm another person an arbiter would give a ruling based on his opinions of what the law was or like what the common law in some sense was. It, it wasn't common law, but it was, it was known as Brehan law, but essentially just customs and traditions. And um, the, the Brehan would give his ruling and they would tell, uh, he would say like what should be done here. But if the person did not like follow through, they would do just as I was saying before, which is that the, the two auth, which is essentially just like a little guild, um, in ancient Ireland, one of the two auths, because everyone was essentially part of some type of guild. They offered them some type of legal protection or some type of benefits um, within the society. The, if the, the arbiter's ruling was rejected by the party, the criminal, uh, the two auth would say, okay, we're not, unless he like, unless he actually like give, makes up for his word, 
we're going to completely disassociate with him, meaning there's he's not going to be protected by us. So it was kind of just what I was saying before, where it's like, okay, this person is legal has no legal rights or recourse if they get assaulted or hurt or stolen from in any way. So this kind of incentivize gives you a real time market incentive for people to play ball essentially with the um, the court system. Interesting. So it's like a, a get out or get murdered sort of deal. Yeah, yeah. And, you know, this also kind of would bring me to my next point, which would say uh, Bob Murphy also talks about this in his book, Chaos Theory 2, where he's talking about like, okay, if you had someone where there was no, they had nowhere to go and they knew that they were an outlaw in this society, it's like what this would incentivize, and everyone knew their name, right? Because like, if we did this in today's time, they would be blacklisted and everyone would know their name and everyone would know not to associate with them. What this would do, it was it would create this incentive for like prison sanctuaries or, or like outlaw sanctuaries where they're not prisons in the sense that people are forcefully detained. But essentially, these sanctuaries would be full of like outlaws where the sanctuaries would say, OK, we're going to protect your rights, but only if you stay here and maintain the building and the place uh, that you live in, essentially. So that's so they would have a market incentive to like protect these people's rights and they would get profit from the 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 outlaws essentially like upkeeping the place uh, in in that sense and like uh, were doing work for them, um, but they couldn't leave the premises. If if they left the premises, their rights would probably just not be protected. And this would also give them a safe area to where if they did want to make restitution for their crimes, they could away from society. And by that route, you generally get their uh, rights back with that society after yeah it, restitution. Right, exactly. So, um, if they were found to be in good, like social standing, and they um, actually were seen to be paying restitution, it would give a signal to people. It's like, okay, maybe this person is rehabilitable. Uh, they they can be rehabilitated. Um, uh, so, I, and I also think like um, criminals, in some sense, being out in the open, because like today in prisons, right? If you if someone's been to prison, doesn't matter what they've been in prison for, if they've just been in prison, a lot of people see that as like a scarlet letter, right? They see this like, ooh, you, I, you know, we, we don't want to hire this guy. Who knows? You know, you know, it's just a it's a very bad thing. But but the problem is like a lot of prisoners, one, they don't deserve to be there in the first place at all right now. Yeah. And two, we also don't know which people who actually were bad in prison actually you know made a change in their lives and became better because that's that's away from us that's outside of our per our purview socially right because we we don't see the inner workings of what's inside prison but um under the model i'm advocating for uh you would actually see which people were actively trying to rehabilitate their uh, and make restitution for their crimes uh so you'd be able to discern which criminals actually you know, should be like welcomed back into society and which should not. One of my biggest uh, problems with the current way the, the government punishment system works, essentially, mm-hmm. I don't want to even call it a correction system because it doesn't yeah. do that. Um, one of my biggest problems with it is when it takes somebody who's, let's say, been convicted of a petty crime like petty theft maybe uh i don't know something minor like battery at a bar against some guy um somebody's convicted of something it's not usually a huge deal yeah and they're given a harsh sentence and they're sent to prison where they become infinitely more violent 
yes and awful people um when they were just maybe a little bit of a loose cannon maybe a little bit of a jerk before but yeah. now they've become like an actual antisocial personality disorder is what they've developed yeah. they uh they no longer have like a conscience uh when it comes to doing things that advantage them they're basically willing to do whatever um sociopathy is essentially develops itself so um how would that be prevented or reduced in this sort of system well i mean i i, I think it would be greatly reduced right because i mean as you said like the uh the, one of the reasons this happens in prison is because you in prison you have to you know there's this common tale if you listen to anyone who's ever been to prison like actual like harsh prison they'll tell you that it, it has to harden you right because in some sense you have to be hardened to survive in there and then it creates kind of like this negative feedback loop of violence and uh, aggression. Uh, and, and like that does something to someone's psyche over time. Um, I, and, and, you know, as you were saying, like, like if someone committed a petty crime, like let's say if someone stole my car and then they took it for a joyride, like some 18 year old kid stole my car, took it for a joyride and then like crashed it and totaled it into a pole or something. Mm-hmm. I would be upset, but I would be more upset that that kid is going to be sent to jail for 10 years of his life. Right. (laughs) Like one that doesn't get my car back. And two, this kid's is going to use, lose years off his life for some dumb mistake. Right. Some dumb decision he made. It's like that. That's horrible to me. Um, so yeah, that type of stuff would just be dealt by restitution, uh, in a civilized society, in my view, it would not, you would not like penalize them in any other way besides making the victim whole. Yeah, that's, that's the closest thing you can really do. Yeah. Is just try to make the victim whole again. Yeah. And, and, but when I say make the victim whole, I don't, I don't mean to say, because obviously someone could just easily say, well, you can't ever fix some crimes. And that's absolutely true, right? If someone murders someone, you obviously can't bring them back. But giving restitution is at least a step toward like trying to make up and you can't make up because there's like i I don't have a good way to say this exactly but you know what i mean like it's a way to like present yourself as saying i i'm sorry i'm eternally sorry and i'm going to try to make this better there's nothing i can do to make this better but i would like to let you know of my goodwill and my sorries and my and my uh my regret It, yeah, it shows and they're penitent, right? It's a, like in a yeah. physical manner. Yeah, yeah, exactly. So while there's nothing to do, some crimes you actually can't fix. It, it's still preferable for them to be able to make that gesture as opposed to just sitting in a cage where they're getting subsidized. You know, uh, so I, I think that's probably one of the biggest benefits to it, and. Um, you know, or actually, go ahead. Uh, I did. I I interrupted you. No, 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 no. Please go on. Oh, I was just gonna say. I, I think that's. I think that's the civilized thing to do, and I think it just makes more economic sense to do it that way. Um, I think, like um, per prisoner, I think this is in California. I, I can't say this is countrywide, but I know in California, last time I checked, it costs like forty to fifty thousand dollars a year per prisoner of taxpayer dollars. Uh, wow. Yeah. So. So when you when you calculate that, it's like, yeah, um, a lot of that. So the taxpayers are funding violent criminals. <laughs> you know, it's it's like it, when most people think of it like that, it's like, yeah, that's actually the opposite of what should be happening here. Um, 
Uh, so yeah, I, I think there's a like in every scenario, I think prison abolition would be more both more civilized and it would just be economically better for everyone involved. You go like the old timey days and send them mm-hmm. all to Australia. Oh right, yeah. <laughs> Especially now, I mean that is a prison continent right now. Oh yeah, it is absolutely. <laughs> They've returned to tradition. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. Yeah. What is, in your opinion, the the best route towards moving uh, moving our current system to something that that actually let me let me ask a different question how how would you implement this in today's society like right now? Um, what can you rephrase the question like what do you exactly mean by how like what what does how mean like how would I if you were to organize such a system in yeah. a in like a small group, how would you organize it? Oh, okay. Uh, well, I would certainly um, re like if I if I'm just am I building it from zero or am I just taking today's society and trying to restructure it? You, uh, you and some friends got some land in the woods. You sold okay. some lumber, and uh, you're gonna build. I got you. Okay, yeah, perfect. So I would just say that um, I, I think you would just you kind of would just have to have a some type of civil law. Right. So there's a um, civil law as opposed to criminal law. Civil law is essentially what anarchist law is. Right. It's it's not perfectly aligned with anarchist law, but civil law is essentially just torts. Right. So when someone commits a crime against someone else, uh, some encroachment, uh, unjustified encroachment into their boundaries, civil law would say, OK, you owe this person some type of monetary restitution. So I think you have to have that in place first uh, to essentially um, make this work. And then, of course, once you uh, once you have that in place, then you can kind of talk about like, okay, what type of mutual defense do we have so that we can protect ourselves from people who who are criminals? And then once we have that type of defense, we can say, okay, if this person is truly uncooperative, we're just not going to protect his rights and we're going to look the other way if someone does violate his rights. And I think you, once you have those three things, I think you kind of have, um, at least in a small setting, a localized setting, I think you kind of have everything you need and it kind of just emerges from there naturally. That's, uh, <clears throat> that's, sorry. <clears throat> that's, uh, pretty interesting. The, mm-hmm. uh, the way the way that you'd go about it nowadays um i uh i'm not sure um there there's a lot of different uh there's a lot of different positions that that can kind of line up under under anarchism and prison abolition um obviously there's the classic just pop them in the head Right. Um, which I mean, that just ends up with mass depopulation, obviously. Yeah, and so, that, and it also you know cycles of violence, things like that, where it's like, as we were talking before, vigilantism. It's like, well, yeah, that you can do that. Uh, there might be immeasurable social consequences for doing so, even if you know the legal system looked the other way to it. You know. Yeah. Exactly. And the the. I guess the biggest question for me is what is it about our current system that that makes it so awful? Oh, 
um are okay yeah so well, i think one are you talking about like just in general or like why i'm opposed to it morally or uh just give me a rundown on on yeah okay why you're opposed to it morally, all right yeah why you're, sure uh, Sure. So one reason, just a practical reason, what like why we see these horrible things manifest in the first place is mandatory minimums. Mandatory minimums are one of the greatest scourges in American history, right? This is how you get very long sentences for people who have committed very minor crimes and even like often nonviolent crimes like uh, drug possession or drug trading. Um, so that that's probably the one of the biggest manifestations of why we are why we have the prison population we do. Um, why I'm opposed to it morally, and this is probably one where a lot of libertarians might not uh, agree, and they a lot of them probably don't agree, which is that under the non-aggression principle, it doesn't. It, it, it the non-aggression principle says you have a right to defend yourself from aggression from aggressors right you have the absolute moral right to defend yourself from people who are aggressing it doesn't say you have the right to do things after they've aggressed right once the aggression has ceased it doesn't necessarily say you have a right to retaliate afterwards right um like if if i have if someone has like you know uh slapped me in the face or something and then, or so, and then they make no other like attempt to hit me. Uh, I, I think everyone would understand that me going over to them like a minute later and hitting them in the back of the head or something would probably be just as unjustified as the slap. Um, so for that reason, it's generally considered. I, I I would say it would be unjustified to imprison someone afterwards for something they've done just because. Uh, they committed an aggression in the past. Now, if they are a constant threat, then I do think imprisonment is justified in that in that case because that can be a, seen as a defensive act. But you also have to consider the possibility or the um, the problem where it's like, okay, if you want to say he loses his rights after the aggression, you open up this variable where it's like, okay, well, for how long? It, it seems like utterly arbitrary to me to say that. Well the person would lose his rights depending on what the arbiter says. It's like, okay, well, why, what, why is the arbiter have a, like, like it, it makes it arbitrary where one arbiter can take away someone's rights for X amount of time. And this person, and the other arbiter can take away his rights for a Y amount of time. You see what I'm saying? Yeah. So once you kind of delve into that, it becomes really, really arbitrary. And it seems like we're getting away uh, from like this uh, natural law sense. Arbitrary. Uh, oh, there you go. Yep, arbiter, arbitrary. <laughs> well, um, yeah, that's that's essentially how the system of judges work, except uh, in in old yes. times. Except they would normally uh, only arise during certain times. They wouldn't always be a judge, right? Um, and during those times, they actually simply just worked among each other, or mm-hmm. they all held they yeah. held public courts. Yes. And I mean, that's kind of like, that's kind of the, like the goal too, right? Is that like in an anarchist system, anyone can be an arbiter, right? It's, it's like in, like anything else, competition is open, would be open and free. So anyone, there's not one specific set of people or one class of people that are arbiters. It would be, you know, very fluid. What would be, uh, 
what would be the type of, of person who would become an arbiter in this sort of situation then? Just an elder or? Yeah, it would probably be an elder, someone experienced in like, you know, uh, some type of like civil law or tort system that we have now. Um, those people would obviously probably be the best at it. Um, and you would certainly see a meritocracy. I'm not saying like each person who was an arbiter would be equal in the sense. And you also have to like consider there would still be corruption. There would still be some bad arbiter or stuff like that. But certainly um, the types of people who would do it would probably be people who are invested in it as a practice. The people who like really care about law in general and like civil law and torts and uh, specifically the type of people who would be more inclined towards a uh, common law perspective. So how do you feel then about uh, immediate revenge? What what so let's say somebody you're at your sister's house, mm-hmm. someone breaks in, murders your sister, and starts running away, and you pursue them. Yeah, what, what would the position be there? Just curious. Uh, I don't think they should be punished for anything they do. <laughs> nice, incredibly yeah. based. <laughs> yeah. All right. And now here's See, that's kind of the nice thing. The, oh, sorry, I was just gonna say no, no, that's kind of the nice thing about the, the position is that it's like, yeah, I don't believe in punishment, but I also don't believe in punishment for the people who do punish. So it's kind of like, yeah, it's a it's a nice little uh, place I've got here. That does that does definitely. That's that's fucking consistent shit. <laughs> I'm trying, I'm trying to think of like interesting questions to ask you and it's uh-huh. just like it's it's wrapped up in such a neat package um, yeah how <clears throat> let's see here it doesn't necessarily need to be enforced super hard um, mm-hmm. now I know in the English iteration of the uh, of outlawry there yeah. was also at, I know it wasn't the entire time that outlawry was a punishment, but uh, at least part of it, there was a time where assisting somebody who had been outlawed was a crime. Mm-hmm. Um, what do you think? I <laughs> yeah, I, I don't think as far as like if we want to be if I want to be really consistent here, I don't think that you could consider that a crime by the non-aggression principle standards. You know what I mean? Like just, it, it depends on like, are they assisting them in the crime or are they just assisting them after they've committed a crime? Because I think those they're, are they're, two very different For example, giving them food, giving them oh, shelter. Yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I wouldn't consider that a, a crime itself. No, because it's like, uh, you know, think of it like right now, doctors, like heal people who are murderers you know what i mean yeah. like so no I, I wouldn't say i wouldn't say that's a, a crime how would this uh be able to to function in our modern society with, with all this rampant gun violence oh my <laughs> gosh right yeah, no, this is a good question because it's like, you know, even if when people do get on board for prison abolition, they're like, well, how could it happen right now? And it is a good question. Uh, but I think, well, you, you can't really talk about prison abolition without addressing the state in the first place. But it's like, OK, what would the state have to do so we could get this manifested? And I think one of the ways you would have to do this is like, OK, well, bare minimum, the state would have to 
for this to work practically, bare minimum, the state would have to allow people to um, to own weapons, own firearms with like preferably no restrictions, but certainly less restrictions than now. And um, and they would also uh, for this to work practically, I think they would have to institute some type of system where it's like, OK, we can designate them as outlaws and then they just lose their rights. Or, or they don't lose their rights necessarily, but they, they, they won't, no one will be prosecuted for violating their rights, uh, is a better way to put it. Um, the, that right there, I think, would, yeah, would have to happen uh, for a legal system change for this to like manifest, practically speaking, uh, in today's society. How would some of the technologies we have today be able to be repurposed into this sort of system? Like, That's a really great question. Personally, I have this beautiful vision in my head of the Amber, Amber Alert system being uh-huh. uh, basically kept the same as far as you and I are concerned. Yeah. But on the back end, it, the entirety of the, the reports and all that, it's replaced with a bunch of angry rednecks and chop top trucks with AK-47s right. and no regard for road safety. Right. So, yeah. So, like, for an example of this would be, uh, you know, and... and I think people are going to criticize me uh, fairly for this because they're like, you know, this is like kind of dystopian or like technocratic, but I think you could use uh, facial recognition scanners. Uh, like if someone is a criminal uh, and they, uh, they're alerted, like someone is alerted to this person, you could have facial recognition scanners. So in some sense, like wherever they went, someone could, if they were connect- if people had their phones connected to some like database or something, they could have real time database of where this person was uh, at all times type type of situation if they wanted to. Um, and again, this would also incentivize the criminal because if the criminal didn't want to be in this database, he would probably have to pay restitution to the victim. So I imagine those type of databases would probably only exist for the people who are like not on good terms with the law. Uh, and it, so, so once that happens, I, I think you could, um, that kind of like, uh, separates the wheat from the chaff, right? It separates, okay, who is actually making a gesture here to pay restitution and who is just, you know, disregarding it entirely and not remorseful. So I think that's a good way that could happen. And, you know, there's also ways it's like, okay, you could, you could track them through this technology. Um, uh, and I think once you have that type of system in place, there's other uses and inputs you could have for other types of technology. Like uh, people, like like if we're in an advanced, more technologically advanced society, you know, who knows what people will arm their have on their property, right? Who knows what type of security systems they'll have on their property to stop any and uh, stop any intruder, but especially stop an, a, a criminal who is in some database somewhere with some facial recognition scan. I think that's very uh, plausible in the future. Combining specifically the uh, the the outlaw system with mm-hmm. with future technology, I imagine a system where surveillance uh, allows one to the the mixture of surveillance technology, face mm-hmm. recognition, and augmented reality allows yeah. users to hook up to a system which basically turns on eagle vision from Assassin's Creed. <laughs> yes. <laughs> and basically highlights whoever's an outlaw in an area and boom. Uh, right. They're, they're hunted down or whatever. Yeah. Right. So, so you could have, yeah. So it, theoretically, if like, if we want to talk like super advanced high tech, you very much could have a, 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 
a framework or a society where you always knew where the criminal was at all times in your society, like moment to moment tracking. Uh, so I think that would also incentivize good behavior on the criminals part too, knowing that, you know, if they ever tried anything, they could be found very easily. That's um, right. People, your techno super future doesn't have to be, uh, an authoritarian. It one. doesn't have to be a sadist authoritarian hellscape. It can be used. It, it can be it used can be for a some sadist good. anarchist hellscape. Yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> There's just chipping crews going around watching people's internet history. <laughs> right. <laughs> fishing uh fishing firearms out of the sea with metal supervision. That's like, that's right. Yeah. <laughs> um so let's see here. After integrating back in society, would there be any sort of restrictions? I mean, I'm sure they would be held by only like the actual physical people who see them obviously in an anarchistic mm-hmm. society so basically everyone is following that law along the way which essentially means everyone has to know who did what so right. people have to keep up on this sort of system in order for it to work yeah and i mean yeah absolutely and i think there would be a uh, you know as we're saying i think there'd be databases right i i, I think there'd be not his i think there'd be an incentive right in this type of society people would want to know who, which are the criminals who are paying restitution and which are the ones who are not, right? That's a very important thing to know. So I think that, you know, there could be like, uh, you know how like if you don't, <laughs> you know how they'll like put your name in the paper if you don't like pay taxes or whatever. <laughs> it's like kind of like that uh, where it's like, but on a, you know, a much grander scale and for things that actually matter. Um, so I, I think you could absolutely have that type of uh, system, especially with more, more tech as far as restrictions i think that would, that's on a case-by-case basis for the property owners right it's like uh maybe for some property owners the gesture of um reconciliation that they've tried the criminals have tried to make in in regards to the uh, victim uh maybe that's not going to be enough in some people's eyes and that's their free choice not to associate with them if that's if that's their opinion uh others might be more lenient and say okay yeah in my eyes you're rehabilitated and you've you've done good uh, by my standards. So it really is just a case by case basis on, on that regard. It is so awful to think that we don't offer this sort of opportunity to criminals nowadays. Yes. For yeah. Most crimes. That's yeah, the majority. Yeah. They're forgotten about. They're saying once, once a person goes to prison, it's just like, oop, boop, they're at completely out of a person's mind, right? It's like, well, and most people, and, and you know, this is certainly, it's certainly true that people do get more violent in prison, but most people's assumption is that if you've been to prison, you deserve to be there. And mm-hmm. this comes from, a, you know, this framework of, well, uh, the cops are the good guys, and if the cops arrested someone, then that means the person must be bad, right? Or the, the system, the legal system is there to produce justice. So if someone goes to jail, that means justice has been done and therefore the person was bad, right? So there's this like vile presumption most people have about the justice system that kind of gives this um, idea, it puts this idea in people's minds where these people are just um, uh, regarded as evil, essentially, if they've been to prison. And it's just, it's a lot of times it's just not true. <laughs> um, uh, so yeah, th- this like, we it's really dehumanizing. And I know most people say, well, why do you care about the prisoners? Well, I mean, I, I think it's important to care about the people most people don't care about. You know what I mean? Yeah, exactly. <laughs> everyone can care. Everyone cares about the people who are out in the open, who people should care about. 
but it, it's very important to you know also stick up for the the forgotten about you know what i mean and i think that's very important in society uh so yeah it, it's yeah most people just look at these people as if they're just you know irredeemable scum and i think that's just a lot of times that's true maybe that's true sometimes i'm sure i mean it is true sometimes but like a lot of prisoners like over 50, like what 50 percent of prisoners are in prison for nonviolent crimes yep. and a lot more in prison for minor crimes petty crimes <laughs> um so it's like these people certainly shouldn't be forgotten about and you know this is another thing you know this is something that i tell people and this is um even if it, someone's not a prison abolitionist after this, even after they've listened, they still say, no, I, I don't, I don't buy it. Okay, fine. I, I will say 90% of convictions in this country over 90%, I think it's like 92% last time I checked 92% of convictions in this country come from plea deals. A plea deal is a coerced confession. It, it's a saying that you, ex, you say you're guilty and you will get you make this deal with us and we'll give you a lighter sentence than what the judge normally would have granted you. And when they're presented these plea deals, they're presented in a way it's like if you don't take this plea deal, you're probably going to go away for a very long time. Um, so considering that these are coerced confessions, what that means is that remember, they're coerced when while they're being presumed innocent, they're being coerced into a confession while they're being presumed innocent, which means from a justice perspective. 92% of the people who have been convicted at the very least deserve trials, which means they should not be in prison. <laughs> so even if you're not a prison abolitionist, I think if you hold to an idea of justice, you have to be committed to the idea that 92% of the people who are in prison uh, should be let out and given a trial. Yeah, absolutely. And one of my uh, personal biggest gripes with, with this system is the fact that just just as you were talking earlier about, you know, pet, it, it, we were both talking earlier about it being petty yeah. crimes, being yeah. the vast majority of things that people have done. Yes. Um, <clears throat> petty crimes are less to get in prison, nonviolent crimes. They're still housed with violent sociopathic offenders. That's right. They're still socialized That's right. with them, making them into more of the same thing. So, like, yeah, you might have one guy, he's in there for, uh, I don't know, triple homicide. Uh, triple homicide, including uh, one one patricide. There you go. Uh, make, it, make it real, real awful. So he's in there, and then he's next to a guy who, I don't know, he uh, took a sample from the Winco food dispensers. Right. <laughs> And yeah, he got arrested, and now they're both, you know, in a cell together. Yeah, like, like, how is that going to turn out? Yeah, anyone who thinks that we actually have a justice system in America is like deluding themselves to an absurd amount. Um, and I mean, the obvious case for this is Ross Ulbricht, right? He's an it's an obvious case that anyone with any type of like moral decency should be able to see. And Ross Ulbricht, he's not there anymore, but for a long time. Ross Ulbricht was in a supermax prison with some of the worst people in the country. Wow. Yeah. Well, they falsely accused him of a lot. <laughs> yes. A lot. But I mean, yeah. least of all, they falsely accused him of, uh, what, what was it? It was the, um, the attempted uh, murder attempted, for hire. Yeah. Attempted murder for hire. Yeah. I, which he was not actually like uh, charged with. What was he charged with? 
he was charged with drug trafficking uh drug uh he was charged with the kingpin charge which is essentially the the top tier drug trafficking it's what uh, el chapo got um that was the biggest one um he was i thought i think he was money laundering drug uh conspiracy to uh to um uh sell drugs things like that and then i forget there was one more minor one super minor one but that those were the big three uh that got him the the charge but um his at at sentencing he, he was essentially uh the the judge t- like referenced the murder for hire which he was not charged with and referenced um his political beliefs so uh yeah the the justice system is in this country is a joke it's wow. not real that's uh have good opsec kids uh yeah <laughs> um yeah. use a vpn use tor even on the clear net uh yeah. you set up a proxy at your local starbucks underneath one right. of the tables <laughs> and, and you know it, it goes back to what we were saying before where it's like look once you know one person who's in jail who shouldn't be that then opens up the 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 path to saying okay if this one person was in prison for something they should never have been in prison for how many other people are in prison for the same thing right how many other people are good people or just redeemable maybe they did something bad but they're maybe they're redeemable and they're going to waste away in prison with violent people surrounding them um it's awful and the fact that no one really cares is certainly a a mark against most people in society although it's to the to be fair it's not really their fault either because they're just ignorant of it most of the time and uh um brainwashed in some sense by you know uh, the structures of society themselves itself um part of the reason part of the reason it's so uh i think it's so pervasive in so many different societies to have an actual enforcement uh group and prison system is simply the fact that it's so separated from the average tax generating citizen yes um and that's part of why i advocate actively for de- the decriminalization of vigilantism um, yeah. and and allowing people to be able to defend themselves and and make moves on other people um, you know as as they see fit as they see as absolutely necessary um, yeah it's it's uh, it's one of the most problematic things about yeah. our current society is that the people involved in something don't get to do anything about it whether right. positive or negative whether they're on the victim side or the criminal side so um there was a jump so the jump between criminal law to or i'm sorry the jump between civil law to criminal law is what caused this so um civil law is based in torts right it's based in okay this is the victim this is the criminal and these are the two dis- the, p- the two parties that matter in this situation when criminal law comes about what happened was the society the state views the state literally views and i'm not i'm not like um i'm joking about this the state literally even if they don't say it they literally view you as property you are cattle to them so when one like w- when the criminal assaults you the state right. takes the state takes your case upon itself because it's not that 
you this criminal has victimized you the person the individual you victimized the state because you hurt the state's property that's the origin of criminal law and it goes back to like uh monarchy yeah, the, so, like, like the difference between a uh serf and a yes. slave for example yeah yeah exactly yeah. So, so that's freeman, really, sorry, the, yeah, freeman. yeah, yes. So that's really, uh, like where that gets started. Like the, the jump from like criminal, what criminal law is, is it's the state saying, okay, we are going to take this case upon ourselves because this criminal didn't hurt. It's not that the criminal is being charged because they hurt this person. They're charged. It's society against the criminal, right? It's the, it's the state making the case that they have done harm so they're taking it upon the the state's taking the harm upon themselves and then acting as if they have been harmed because this is an implicit belief or an implicit um, recognition that the state treats its populace as their property that's eerie on a certain level to to hear that that is basically the reason like, yes. like it's kind of come to mind before the concept of it, but I haven't really been able to put it into words, and that just sort of, yeah, wow, yeah, that's about that's right. why, <laughs> yeah, that's it's every time they charge someone criminally, it's always the state versus this person, right? It's yeah. not the the it's like on behalf of the victim, but it's like no, the state is doing this because you hurt them. They're not they nothing happens to the victim unless it like civil law is the only type of law. Uh, where the victim actually gets actual restitution in this country. When it's criminal law, the, the victim gets practically nothing. Yeah, just Be- because they're not regarded as an they're not regarded as a moral agent. They're not regarded as a person who uh, like needs to be in this situation in the first place. Because it's like, no, they're just property. We we don't need to do anything to them because they're our property. This is and that's why the state takes it upon themselves. It's like, oh, you hurt my property, right? And there's that old joke about why it's illegal sometimes, like in certain states, to like kill yourself because you can't. It's illegal to ju- damage government property, you know, things like that. <laughs> but it's just like it's kind of on that same track where it's like, yeah, these people literally view you as their property. Wow, I, I I'm. I heard that it was. I'm. 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 I'm assuming that was a joke, but I heard it was illegal so that they can stop you, so they can legally have recourse to break into your home and come oh. like, to prevent you from killing yourself. Oh yeah, no, I, I'm sure. I. I, I mean, I, yeah, I, I'm sure that is it, the the whole. You know, it being a legal piece of property is kind of like tongue in cheek and jest, but I certainly think there's truth to it as well, right? It's like. Uh, but yeah yeah um i'm sure that is like the legal reason why very very interesting stuff yeah um so if this were so let's say uh some judge hears our podcast here yeah makes a motion and they send this up how would that affect the current prison population uh, do you mean like if the judge like what do you mean by send it like up the, like just like the judge uh, uh, creates a, a, a draft of some kind and sends it to higher courts to uh, spread the word and somehow they all believe it and they all make this uh, reality in the United States. What would ensue? How, how would things go down? 
Oh, so you're like asking if like what would happen if the prisoners were just let out? Is that essentially yeah. your question? Yeah, okay, okay. Gotcha. Uh well I certainly think that um uh you would probably want to start getting the nonviolent criminals out first, uh obviously, and then you would start with the uh the petty crime, the petty criminals, and then you would as and like you would let the violent ones out too but you would want to like monitor them in some way right you would want to give people you you would certainly want to tell the population what you were doing course, before you did it right um so yeah you would want to you would certainly want to do that and you would want to like what do they monitor exactly right you'd want to monitor the potentially violent criminals so that they knew that um uh they couldn't get away with something if they tried uh, you'd definitely want to make sure that um, uh, that was in place. But but ultimately, I, I think ultimately, you know, just like the argument for anarchism or the argument for completely free market is that things will do tend to naturally work out when people are left to their own devices and free. Yeah, I, I absolutely agree. That's that is. Yeah. That is, in my opinion, what what you can easily observe in most societies yeah. The only reason that something would happen that would prevent such a a society or present, prevent such a a good result from coming out in such a society <laughs> is if the corruption got into that system in some way. So examples, you know, obviously we were talking earlier about the uh, arbiters. And how you mm-hmm. know there's not always good arbiters, there's bad arbiters. Right. Um, what happens with the bad arbiters? Like, what's what's the deal? Great with question. Them? Like, especially well, if they uh, if they're out there, you know, telling people, "Oh no, you're my friend. You didn't. Mm-hmm. You committed murder. Right. Oh, that's um, a, a, a pence. Right. Okay. That's um, that's your restitution. One pence to the victims. Right. Walk away." let's uh let's imagine a scenario where the the judge or the arbiter is um offered money to get make make his decision one way or the other right um if that was found out that would be fraud and the the, he would owe the person who he ruled against restitution for that because the 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 parties are are seeking the arbiter and they're paying the arbiter in some sense under the assumption that the arbiter is going to act fairly, right? That's the whole reason they're giving them money in the first place. So if the arbiter is acting unfairly, he would be committing fraud, which would mean other arbiters would be legally sanctioned to make him pay restitution. Um, so ultimately there's no way to get rid of corruption entirely, but you can, but you can certainly, it's certainly better in a free market to have corruption than it is in a centralized structure to have corruption because in a free market, Everyone can be, because reputation in a free market, reputation is your most important currency. Ultimately, right? It's the currency that develops all other currencies. It, it generates all all other um, like wealth in some sense. Um, so if you have a bad reputation, no one is going to see you, and they're free not to see you, right? So um, yeah, those type of people would eventually get like um, go down the drain uh, the way the market works they would just like fall to the bottom the uh, bottom rung of the ladder um and the reason for that obviously as i was saying is that that's to do with reputation so because in a, in a free in a, this type of system no one is unlike now no one is forced to actually see the arbiter 
right? They can just not see the arbiter. Uh, no one is forced to like uh, see, and no one's forced to see any specific arbiter either. So um, uh, there would not be a corruption problem there because it, it, the corruption would be exacerbated if they were forced to see one specific arbiter and they could do nothing about them about it and they would just have to wait for the corruption to be solved like by some higher authority which then you know that that also begs the question it's like okay well why how do i know that higher authority isn't also corrupt either so um, a decentralized market um, is much more um, apt to handle corruption in that way and we saw a lot of this when the uh soviet union ran russia and uh how immediately after the Soviet Union collapsed, the uh, mafia, the Russian mafia, basically took over the country. And mm-hmm. I forget which of the many, many, many different mafia groups it is, but one of them essentially became integrated into the nation, from what I understand. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah. Um, it's That tends to happen. It's funny. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. But the the country has overall had a decrease in corruption in in officials since the end of the Soviet Union, and that's right. actually something that you can track on their uh, websites apparently on their right. like government based websites. <laughs> corruption. They're advertising the level of corruption. That's funny. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Yeah. I mean, FBI.gov will will basically uh, basically advertise the same thing. Yeah. They'll advertise anything. Yeah. But um, let's see here. What do you think is the most important reason that prison abolition should be undertaken as soon as possible? Um, for me, it is a moral issue, and I'm sure other libertarians or other prison abolitionists will have different uh, like starting points as why. But I do think it's I do like legitimately think and this is probably unpopular, like by a lot of libertarians, but I do think it's generally uh, immoral to imprison someone, even if they are guilty of a crime, because I do think they still have I do think a person still retains their rights, ultimately, even after a crime. Um, So that's like the moral reason for me why it's unjustified to punish someone. Um, uh, Ultimately, though, I, I like um I think that's the main reason, but also I think it's like another important reason, like right up there with that is that um, like kind of like not, not even different, but just another side of the coin is that the victim in this society gets, gets nothing in uh, when a person is charged criminally, right? The victim doesn't do it, get anything. In fact, they, it's salt in the wound because they pay for that person's prison stay. So, so that is a huge reason why uh, I think it's very important for prison abolition. because It's like, with prison abolition, the victim at least gets something. That's not the case now. So um, basically what you're looking for is a situation like what took place in Skidmore, Missouri in the 80s. Uh, oh, what, um, what would that be? Do you, are you familiar with the, with the murder of Ken McElroy? Oh, that sounds familiar. I'm, I'm not sure if I remember the story in detail. Basically, Ken McElroy was a guy who was part of a huge family. Uh, he kind of ended up getting ignored by his parents. Oh, yes. Of it. And then he became a rapist, arsonist, animal abuser, um, and then ended up marrying his primary rape victim. 
He tried murdering somebody, and uh, basically the police would do nothing about it, you know, no matter how many times, how many people talked about what he was doing to the police. Basically, they did nothing because they're essentially said they have no real evidence. <laughs> right. It was. It wasn't until uh, until he tried murdering somebody by a shotgun to the stomach that uh, he ended up getting arrested. And then he got acquitted because he was able to hire a good lawyer. So nothing ended up happening to him. Um, anyway, at one point, there was a big get-together of all of the uh, people in the, uh, in the town who were, you know, big players. And they talked about what they're going to do about him. And they talked about killing him. Mm-hmm. And uh, basically, uh, they saw him and shot him several times um he was hit twice by two different weapons and there were 46 potential uh witnesses and not a single one of them said anything and one of the residents told investigators uh that he needed a (laughs) killing yeah i mean yeah that's that's how it would work i think something akin to that interesting yeah um what what is it about uh, about uh the, what is it that sets this apart from a state essentially pulling off the same sort of thing though um so like let's say that that we go back to the old english times back yeah. when they had outlawry but they still had the monarchy over them um we're not in those eras anymore so um I guess what I'm asking is what is it that sets the two apart from between a state doing this and the local people just deciding this is how things should go? Um, do you mean like what's the difference between the state uh, essentially labeling someone as an outlaw versus an anarchist society doing it or exactly. like, okay. okay. Um, well, I, I think the state you have a more of a centralized structure. So I, I think one of them is just incentives, right? You have a centralized structure, um where uh with with an anarchist society you you have much more of an incentive to actually um like find out who the actual criminal is and i think with the state structure you have much less of that right it's it's much more um prone to making very bad decisions with when it's left to the state and you know another reason to this just you know i'm not a consequentialist but i think there is a good consequentialist argument for this which is like look if you're going to advocate for prison and prisons, or you're going to advocate for violence in general, you better be damn sure you're right. Uh, And I don't think, I don't think the state has shown that they are, even if you want to take the best case example, I don't think they've shown that they're competent enough to uh, distinguish good people from bad people. So that's one of the reasons why it's like, you I I still wouldn't trust the state with this type of thing either. Cause it's like, well, I mean, look, I would certainly want the state, if the state decided, okay, we're going to abolish prisons, I, abolish prisons, I think, okay, I would like that. I would prefer that in the same way that I would prefer if the state stopped doing a lot of other things, but it still wouldn't be as good as if it was completely anarchistic. Very interesting. Um, well, um, let's see here. 
how are the Kind of running out of questions. I wanted to add another half hour to this if I could, because I'm I'm trying to have episodes that are more than an hour. Um, sure. I, yeah. I didn't have as many questions prepared, so I'm trying to formulate one in my head. Uh, and and I'm an expert staller, so. <laughs> right. Um. Well. As Tetsui would say, prison is gay derogatory yes. uh <laughs> uh so what about no nah, i'm not gonna give you a bunch of what about ism uh <laughs> you can't you can do whatever you want i'm, I'm good <laughs> <laughs> the, um well i mean that's that's really hits all the questions i, I wanted to, to really do so. i'm sorry for going too fast <laughs> uh, you, you really are a a, a lightning I mean, I mean, I see you in the replies. I see you in the tweets. <laughs> <laughs> um, how would this lend itself to? Uh, so you already basically established that it doesn't lend itself well with the state, um, and we kind of laid out how it would work with anarchism. Mm-hmm. What sort of of other iterations have happened with this over the years? Like, I, I know that outlawry was a huge thing in the past in general yeah um so what other societies had this as as a thing and 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 are there any interesting little uh are there any interesting like little facts about how they did it that was different from other societies sure i I think you have things that approximate not exactly my position but kind of approximate it like there were a lot of cases in the wild west where that was essentially a thing right you had outlaws and it's like Um, And like a lot of these like frontier towns where it'd be like, okay, this person's an outlaw. And while while some of them did have like prison cells, like one or two prison cells, uh, they they didn't have massive prisons and be like, okay, if you see this person and he's a criminal and you kill him, we're not going to do anything about it. Right. I I think you certainly see that. And I I certainly think that type of system uh, is much preferable to a prison system. And you also, I, I was talking about this before, but, um, you have systems like ancient Ireland, which we covered uh, uh, pretty well. And you also have uh, medieval Iceland uh, kind of worked on this system. And so did Kospia, which is one of my favorite anarchist examples. They had no police or prisons either. And they, they uh, you, what you see is a lot of these like polycentric uh, societies kind of order themselves in a very similar fashion, which I think isn't proof, but it kind of gives you an idea of how like an anarchist society would order itself as well, given like these past iterations. So what's to stop somebody from popping up and saying that they want to be an arbiter because the truth will be revealed to them by divine grace? <laughs> I mean, they can like set themselves up <laughs> as an arbiter. They can do it in the same way that someone can, you know, try to, you know, start any business they want for what any ridiculous reason they want. But it's like in a free market, no one has to see them. So if they want to say, well, I'm my you know, decisions are divinely inspired. It's like, well, you can try and see if that works, but uh, you know, I, I think a lot of people might be a little more skeptical of you if you did that. And uh, you know, maybe that'd work in some situations. I don't know. I can't predict the future, but I have certain doubts that that would actually manifest well um, in a, a meritocratic like fashion, where people wouldn't like see, oh yeah, this is obviously the best arbiter in town. <laughs> Let's do it. Let's start an anarchist commune. Yeah, 
and sure. uh, we'll uh, I'll, I'll be the charismatic religious leader, and there's Absolutely. no way this could possibly go wrong. No, yeah, no then way. we'll give you. Yeah, it's fine. We'll give Bill some drinks. You know, it'll, it'll be fine. Mm-hmm. Yep, give him some. Uh, give him some blue tracksuits. Yeah. Give him some. <laughs> give him some Nikes. Absolutely. And uh, some people just call that a good time. Podcast. <laughs> <laughs> I don't have a sponsor yet, though. I wish uh, Stephen Sashin would let me shill him on my podcast and his uh, <laughs> shoes. <laughs> Um, so what do you think is, if you could really summarize all of this up into like a short, consistent thing for people who are just tuning back in after listening to an hour podcast, um, yeah. you know, mentally tuning back in, if you could like wrap this all up in a neat package, how would you rather have things run instead of a prison? I would rather the victims, uh, be made whole. And I would rather uh, criminals have a chance to rehabilitate themselves in the eyes of society, not locked away from their purview. And those who do significant crimes get uh, basically expelled from society throughout. That's right. That's right. And and then whatever happens to them happens to them. And if someone kills them, I don't want that person punished either because I don't believe in punishment. Simple as that, folks. I mean, right. it works. It worked in it multiple just works. societies. Yes, exactly. It just works. It worked in multiple societies for countless generations. Yes. Um, it's it's a system that has a lot of precedent to it in in biblical history um, from prior to the uh, time of First Samuel eight. Uh, mm-hmm. It has a lot of precedent in historical societies that aren't quite as Western or uh, Eastern necessarily for that matter. Um, did you have any Eastern examples, by the way? Uh, Just curious. Well, well, I mean, I, I, so I don't have, there's not a lot of good like information about like how the legal structure necessarily works in these places, but uh, in East Asia, Southeast Asia, you, you have the um, Zomia, which is a designation, a landmass, essentially, that that is um, that like encroaches into a lot of different states, but is essentially stateless because it's like the, the, the people of Zomia live in the hills, essentially, where the state's out of reach. Mm. And these people are like semi-agricultural, but there's no prisons. So they ha- if, if they have some type of like legal structure or a way to resolve disputes, which they do. Uh, there's a lot of different like societies and um, I don't think there's any been any like archaeology. Well, I mean, they still exist today. Sorry. I don't want to mean, I don't mean to say like they exist in the past. Now, this is a society of 150 million people living right now wow. in a stateless designation in Southeast Asia. Um, James C. Scott's book, um, the art of not being governed details this I- extremely well. Um, so, so um they I, they would ha- probably have to have a system similar to that, I would imagine. That's a lot more people than I was expecting. That's insane. Yeah, yeah. No one talks about Zomia, but it's 150 million people living in without the state <laughs> right now. Yeah. Wow. That's. And, and they're there. It's not just some accident or happenstance. When you go down there and you talk to those people, they say they're trying to escape the state, <laughs> like the people who live there. <laughs> they're trying to escape taxation. Un fathomably based yeah yeah uh, <laughs> uh need some of that here in the states Jesus. yes um 
let's see here. How man, I wish we could like go back and and find out what go back to the time where the Sentinelese people very mm-hmm. first got contacted and find out how their legal system works. Yeah, I know, yeah. It's always a yeah. Yeah, you, you have to imagine like prisons here. prisons have to have a lot of like upkeep if you're gonna keep prisoners. Uh that is a lot of economic investment. And you have to imagine that like in a decentralized society, even if they weren't like ethically centered against like uh, imprisonment, you'd have to imagine that prisons are just not economically viable a lot of the time without like some like, centralized structure. So you'd have to imagine it would have to manifest in some other way. Yeah, exactly. Especially in such a tiny group. I mean, yeah. I imagine most everything could, you know, be handled interpersonally on that sort of small level. Because there's only Absolutely. what a few, a couple hundred of them there, or something like that. Mm-hmm. A few hundred of Sentinelese people. Wow. Um, yeah, it's pretty small. Do you know how the San people, how their legal system works? I don't. I know of the Sun. I don't exactly know how their legal system works exclusively. I think. Well, okay. Actually, no. Wait. Actually, I do. I believe the Sun works under the Zier legal system. Um, let me double check. Um, but I'm pretty sure it's the Zier legal system. So, um, the Sun are one of my favorites. Yeah. Because they have some really cool stuff. Like they prevent disputes by like it's a cultural tradition to if you get meat as a gift to trash talk the meat um the <laughs> meal so that the person who managed to hunt it doesn't give a big head like like it's it's a they're a very interesting people and i think that's that's probably yeah. one of the the coolest ways of keeping people from being egotistical dicks so i i forgot to mention this but um I don't see the the sun on the Z. Yeah, so I'm not sure if they work under the Zero Legal System, but I imagine they probably might work under a similar one. I can't speak to that authoritatively, but um, the Zero Legal System, which is essentially um, an African legal system, um, is essentially an anarchist one, um, mm-hmm. or common law at the very least. Um, it it works essentially how I've described it in, uh, here, which is essentially like it's based around transgressions against property rights. So if someone steals someone's cattle they're made to pay the victim or the victim's family. But there's no concept of like, there's no prisons under the zero legal system at all. Like you have these arbiters, which are essentially elders and they handle like um, uh, restitution on the, on behalf of the victim and help the victim get restitution, but there's no imprisonment. And there's uh, many African tribes still today that work under this system. Wow. That's uh Yeah. Yep, there's a lot of little like anarchist villages in Africa. I mean that that does make sense. They are the yeah. the continent that's most uh, seen as a big jumble of tribes living under a big mm-hmm. jumble of countries. Right. Yeah. I mean the amount of countries that, that that are in Africa changes so frequently. Oh yeah. Same thing with East Asia. Oh yeah. Like, yep. like we're probably going to see a, either a country name change. Or something go down with Myanmar here pretty soon. Yeah. Like, either there's going to be a country name change, or the country's going to split in two, like South Sudan did just not too long ago. So. Right. 
it's always funny isn't it how like uh these types of things these like collapses of states happen and no one bats an eye but if an anarchist society fails it proves anarchism can't exist it's it's so funny yeah exactly a million a million countries have risen maybe not have but a thousand countries have risen and fallen if not more in this in this in this world and not a one of them has really done much better than the others aside from maybe free market systems are a bit better than complete oligarchy or complete uh, monarchy or you know something worse like communism yeah absolutely Uh, (laughs) (laughs) um well I have really run out of, uh, of questions at this point. So I think <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> no, no problem. It's, it's still been an hour, 15 minutes. So it's been a pretty, pretty good podcast. Yeah. Um, so what have you been up to? What have you been doing? So I guess to say last time I was on your show, I, I talked about it, but I didn't like, I, I kind of jumped the gun too early, uh, but I'm very close now. So I actually will be launching my Substack very soon, very, very soon. So people can be on the lookout for that. Um, Still co-hosting the uh, Slurp Gang podcast. Uh, you can check that out on pretty much any podcatcher. Um, uh, yeah, uh, you can find fo- you can find me on Twitter at Ace underscore Arcist. Very nice, very nice, awesome. Um, as for me, I actually have not been as active as I used to be. Um, I've been uh, working really hard at my job. I've been spending all of my time working on that. Um, now that the holiday season is over, I lost like most of my employees at my job. So I have to go recruit. Um, but, uh, you know, last time I recruited, it was in my hands to be able to find people, interview them and then hire them. Now the only position I do is the actual, like, you know, training part of the hiring. It's even been taken out of my boss's hands that, uh, the actual like choosing of candidates, interviewing them, all of that. So, um, I'm actually starting to look into learning to code. Right, I'm going right. to end up making an app as a project just to prove I can do it and see if I can get a job there. Um, so that's that's what I've yeah. been up to. I've been pretty busy with that. I haven't even been able to keep up on my Minecraft server, but um, I'm still writing my book. I am still up keeping my Minecraft server. I am still keeping up on everything. So... If anybody would like to uh, join us, you can uh, sign up for the Minecraft server on my Patreon. Aha, I have a Patreon now. <laughs> nice. <laughs> I've completely sold out. No, I haven't. <laughs> I haven't gotten a, a Raid Shadow Legends uh, sponsorship yet. Um, but anyway, uh, sorry, one minute. But anyway, yeah, I've been pretty busy myself. Um, I'm trying to learn how to program. I've been trying to learn more 3D printing stuff so I can uh, contribute to DevCAD, which is uh, one of the uh, big resources for uh, 3D printed firearms. So that's been pretty cool. Um, That's awesome, yeah. Anybody who wants to get into that, good lord, I recommend it. 3D printing, 3D printing firearms, 3D print anything. Like, you can... It's a good hobby. It it really is. Like, I've saved more money 
not buying cheap plastic crap for like $2 when I can print it for 12 Now, does it take me eight hours to get something simple like a light fixture cover? Yeah, sure. But I mean, I didn't spend 10 bucks on a ring of plastic. Um, if you get the right filaments, you can actually make things like O-rings to create seals with, with, uh, I believe you can use TPU filaments like Ninja Flex and you can like get an O-ring, make a complete, uh, uh watertight seal or airtight seal. Uh, you can do basically anything with them. And I want to learn to program so that I can create a consolidated system to allow someone to control their uh, their 3D printer with their Android phone. Oh, that'd be cool. Yeah, and, and they would be able to do it wirelessly, hopefully, if uh, if all works with, with what yeah. I want to do. So That's awesome. Like Bluetooth or Wi-Fi or something. But uh, once, once I... Uh, I mean, I know a little bit of programming. I didn't mm-hmm. do anything crazy, but I did a little coding for fun in high school as a little project. Yeah. Um, but I, so I knew a little, a little Fortran for you Cody's <laughs> out there. That's an old one. Um, but I'm thinking about picking up Python or Java or something like mm-hmm. that. Maybe C plus um, and just, just running with it. So um, actually with an Android app, I'd probably have to do uh, Kotlin. So Anyway, that's that's what I'm doing. It's been uh, it's been a wild few weeks. I mean, I assume you had a good Christmas, right? I oh yeah, that was great. Good New Year. Yep. Good. What about you? Uh, I worked. Uh, yeah. I worked Christmas Eve. Worked the day after Christmas. Oh. Yeah, but I mean, you know, my birthday gift this year was the first day of my my job in Montana. Um, so. I mean that. <laughs> yeah. That uh, having a an income resource is an right. income source is really big, especially right now. Fiance's oh, yeah. trying to get a job too, so. Oh yeah, yeah, that's good. Yeah, yeah, we're we're trying to make things work, and I'm trying to get something that'll actually give me real money. So right, um, money is good to have. <laughs> I appreciate everyone for listening. Um, I'm also going to be trying to record more music coming up i'm i'm actually trying to organize my projects so that i have things coming out regularly instead of you know having a month and a half of downtime like i basically did this time so (laughs) all right uh ace thank you so much for hopping on man oh thank Um, you so much for inviting me back it's always a pleasure talking to you it's a pleasure talking to you on twitter um once again everybody ace arcist this was Awe, and as a final bit, uh, for the sins of turning simple petty criminals into hardened criminals, for punishing unduly people who just want to make things right for something wrong they did, and for allowing corruption to have a, a channel by which that it, it can... It can cause pain for innocent civilians who, or maybe not completely innocent, but just minor petty offenders or even completely innocent people uh, can feel the pain wrought by corruption. I declare prisons to be a part of the body of the Antichrist 
and uh, as an antichrist hater that just cannot be so um fuck prisons i hate the antichrist uh fbi eat your heart out um atf eat my ass and uh the rest of you have a wonderful rest of your day thank you very much